We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 366. Wednesday off tonight, Scott. Thanks to the rain in Detroit. Got that doubleheader on Thursday. You know, I was thinking, I hate when there's doubleheaders scheduled for days that our show comes out because that means people are less likely to listen to it immediately because there's Yankees baseball on all day. Uh, so they might they might uh, they might, might might be delayed and then it's not as timely because maybe the next time they listen to this there's going to be two games that have happened since we recorded. Yeah, one of those struggles, one of those uh, podcaster struggles when you get it, getting it out, getting the show out on time so that people have ample amount of uh, of time in their day to consume it, especially when you're talking about things in real life. This is not evergreen. This is what's happening now, and nothing happened today. Right. Nothing. Like what if tomorrow in one of these doubleheaders. Uh, Jay Happ goes out there who's going to pitch, yeah. and he pitches a perfect game. Right. Then a person listens to this show on Friday morning thinking, wow, I'm going to hear about Jay Happ's perfect game, and we don't mention it at all. That could be confusing to said listener. <laughs> this is, this <laughs> These is are one the of scenarios the I think of. Right. Yeah. See, everybody, not, not, it's not just baseball where he goes down these dark paths, it's everything. Down, yeah, the, my- down the spiral. My gotta life figure, is got to figure out the other side of it. What were we just talking? We were just talking about something. Oh yeah, down the spiral. The, down, mm-hmm. Pretty much all these, these conversations about offline stuff too. Down the spiral. 
My brain is a never-ending tunnel with doors that just lead to dark places. <laughs> I right, try and well. I try and not bring them on to this show unless it has to do with the Yankees. Then sure, I'll bring it up. Because but you will complain. That's what about, I'm here for. But you will complain if John and Susan do it. Uh, yeah, I will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't. I don't think that it's a big deal that I complained about them complaining. I, I understand tell you, the irony, and it the it amount is, of people that came up to me at uh, a couple Saturdays ago at the event and said something about that in particular, like how how they started laughing out loud when you started complaining about someone complaining. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> a lot of people thought that was funny. I think that if I did not complain on this show, I think my complaints bring a lot to this show. I'm not saying they don't. I think it's just the um, it's it's amusing. When you're complaining about other people complaining, do you not? This is a Seinfeld episode. I, I was just gonna say there is this had to have been one of the seven or nine seasons of Seinfeld. Yeah, I feel like I just said it like Jerry Seinfeld too. Why do you complain so much? The complaining so, about the complaining. Last we recorded was Monday morning. I think it was Monday morning again. Yeah, yeah. podcaster brain is clouding my my. Well, we've uh, been doing a lot more mornings uh, this year than we have in the past. Right. And uh, the Yankees had one more game against the Red Sox, and I think they just put the final nail in the coffin because we had already seen Dave Dombrowski get the axe in Boston. And you could kind of tell. Once you fire the president and GM of your team, yeah. you're, you're basically just chalking the season up to to we're not this is not our year and then there's talks that come out that maybe they're not going to re-sign jd martinez if he hops out of his contract maybe they're going to look to trade mookie Betts to try and restock that farm system because they don't think they can sign him long term shit could get bad for the red sox quickly if all of these sorts of things happen who's going to bail them out who's going to be the the bailout team what are the dodgers doing can they can they sneak in and uh, screw us again? I mean, I don't even know if there needs to be a bailout team because I still think their offense, even without J.D. Martinez or without Mookie Betts, I mean, you lose both of them, your offense is going to take a huge hit. But if they lose one of those guys, I still think their offense is in pretty good shape, position player-wise. But they're pitching. Uh, Porcello's a free agent. Nathan Avaldi, I think we saw the best two-month run of his life last year. We're never yeah. going to see that again. I don't and think they, he's going to be healthy enough for anybody to see anything, honestly. And they signed him to $68 million. That was a dumb Dombrowski move. Yeah. Like, you want to know what Dave Dombrowski gets you into? Look at the Detroit Tigers right now. I know they beat the Yankees somehow last night. But look at the, the state of the Detroit Tigers. They're going to lose like 110 games. They've got Miguel Cabrera on the books for $30 million a year for four more years. Yeah, and he can't even run the bases right now. I mean, that dude is not going to be – I don't even know how he's going to walk in four years. <laughs> so that is what you get when you hire Dave Dombrowski. You get a bunch of high-priced guys either re-signed or acquired. And if everything goes well – and the stars align like they did for the Red Sox last year, you're going to be a damn good team. You know, you might win the World Series. Yeah. It's funny because what what this – it's like a classic case of of like buying at the top, right? Like you are feeling really good. You just won a championship. Dombrowski gutted your system, got you the players that you needed to do to, to compete, whether you won a championship or you got far into the playoffs and you're feeling good about your team. But then what that what happens is that like the euphoria of winning, you're like, oh, he can do no wrong, and you're you're now your judgment is clouded because all you see is championships or just success in Detroit's uh, case, and you're looking around and you're like, well, now what do we, we? Now how did we sign that guy? When did that happen? Like you black out, 
after the good season, and all of a sudden now you have Nathan Avaldi on the books, or you have um, Chris Sale, you know, Chris Sale with a bad contract. You realize con- Sale's contract hasn't even kicked in yet. That's next year. Or Miguel Cabrera on the books forever. So Dombrowski has that has that like that way about uh, uh, maneuvering in a way that can can win on a given year, but then after that, like you need to lock him down and like handcuff him. Don't let him talk to anybody. Like that, the next the next job he takes, you just get to that point where a success and and make sure you know where that is beforehand so that you can come out of there. Well, I think for certain lock teams, him down. for certain teams, like if the Tigers, the Tigers, where they go to the World Series twice under Dombrowski, and they were very competitive for like. Almost a decade. Right. So had they won one of those World Series, I'd say Tigers fans would have said well worth it. Yeah, but they, they had a different circumstance too, I think. Like, yeah, they, they have um, some high-priced guys, but they also had some some good talent coming up through their system at that point too. And I think they – like I'm not looking at Dombrowski for that stuff. Dombrowski went out and got some, some uh, hired guns, but they also had, I think, enough t- uh, talent to sustain it. Yeah, so, I don't know the Detroit Tigers system well enough to, to speak to that. But Dabrowski's not not one to believe in prospects. He does not believe in prospects very much. No, no, he he's will not. always trade the prospect for the proven guy. I mean, he had a guy named Justin Verlander that was pretty damn good that that came up through the system and but that uh, was not I don't think Justin Verlander's been in, in the league since like two thousand six. I don't think that was Dombrowski, was it? Was it? Was it the beginning? I don't remember. Anyway, this is not the he's, point. He's been in the league. Episode. He's been in the league. Yeah, since 2006, because he got drafted in probably 03-04. Anyway, but so it's, that's what you're going to get when you you sign up as the Red Sox as they're looking at the future of their team. And you know, you are wearing a shirt. This is re- it said rebuild the empire. It's pretty faded now. It's one of it's one of our OG shirts. Yep. I am wearing our shirt from an event earlier this season. Take the East. I think those two things to this conversation are very apropos because rebuilding the empire is not something Dombrowski would be capable of. It's something that Brian Cashman did, and take the East is not something the Yankees have done in a long time. 2012, right? That's the last time they they won the division. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been and when you look back, you're like, damn, it has been that long. It's going to be, and I think their magic number is still nine to win the division. It's going to happen. Um, and it was step one on, it was ch- number one on the checklist of things for the 2019 season was win the division, and then we're going to take it from there. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what's happening. You're right. They they kind of backed the track up and uh, and went back to, um, you know, the the what happened I think when the when the 90s teams were forming and, and they had a nucleus and they started adding pieces around that, you're seeing a lot of similarities in the way it was built. And the, these shirts came out. We, we, we put these shirts out 16, when... 16, right? 2016 when yeah, Sanchez... Was, it was before they all came up. It was, it was like right before they all came up. But we knew they were there. And we knew that they were coming. And we, we never, saw the writing on the wall. But we did, but we were also all still, still so skeptical. Because yeah, the but we were... But but Aaron Judge I think changed a lot of people's minds when you see that guy coming up who's such a presence. He was he was really, uh, you know, like a beacon Seventh, of hope. I disagree. I, I really I, disagree. I think that every um, single every single level he came up, he struggled and then dominated it. I know, but there was such cynicism when it came to the Yankees and prospects because. They got such a bad rap. Cashman got such a bad rap through the late 2000s and then early 2010s for loving prospects and then not having them pan out. I mean, think about the supposed-to-be rotation in 2008 with Jabba Chamberlain, Phil Hughes, and Ian Kennedy. 
one of those guys kind of worked for the Yankees, right? Which one? one kind, which three. one kind of worked? Phil Hughes. Phil Hughes. I mean, I mean, Jabba Chamberlain worked for a little bit when he was used correctly. I, he was good in the 2007 second half of the season. I wouldn't say overall. I think the Yankees completely messed up Jabba oh, Chamberlain. I'm not going to blame Jabba Chamberlain for that. Ian, Ian Kennedy's Kennedy, still getting paid. I know, Ian Kennedy turned out to be a, maybe the best pitcher out of any of them. Yeah. Oh, definitely the best um, pitcher. He's still in the league. And uh, everybody else is it out just of the league. wasn't with the Yankees. Phil Hughes at least had a couple decent years in the rotation, and he helped them in the 09 playoffs out of the bullpen. Right. So. But there was such a, I just think such a bad aura around Yankees prospects until we saw Severino come up in 15 and look like a good pitcher. And then yep. we're like, holy shit, we haven't seen one of these since Ching Ming Wong. Um, Greg Bird. <laughs> Greg Bird actually come up and offensively fill the shoes of Mark Teixeira in, uh, when was that? 15, right? Yeah, and now you're seeing so you're seeing the some the beginning of some of these guys, but you also see Judge was the guy for me. I mean, I was having a a a, a, go, a back and forth with a buddy of mine who's an Orioles fan, and I think it was he was in the minor league, so it had to have been 15. And I was saying like this dude's going to be the face of baseball, like he's like the perfect if he could hit in the major leagues, like he's definitely going to be the face of baseball because of just the way he his presence and the way he looks. And uh, yeah. yeah, so we. No, were, I mean, I, know, I get it. There was a lot of standpoint. excitement before. Before there was a ton of up. excitement. We had the Judgment Day shirts when we went there for his his first game, but he didn't. He did not look impressive in 2016 at all. No. It was Gary Sanchez that looked impressive. Right. Everyone was like, "Holy shit! Who is this guy, Gary Babe Sanchez, Ruth. who uh, had been in the system forever and a name we had heard forever? He was always like the catcher, the next catcher who they didn't trade because." They had Cervelli, they traded Montero. They had Montero, they traded him. They had John Ryan Murphy, they traded him. And Gary Sanchez was always the one who was like, oh yeah, they still have Gary Sanchez. And somehow he's not old yet because he's been in the system since he's 16 years old. And uh, he's just the one they never traded for, for good well, reason. And even him, before he, before he came up, I mean, he had that whole situation, where I think when he was in Trenton, and <laughs> they, uh, they pulled him back from Fall League, or it was the Futures game, pulled him back from the Futures game and wasn't able to play in that. Yeah, and he got uh, he got basically benched for for having, you know, whatever the attitude problems or that, that all those attitude things like the the um, stigma of him being lazy, all that crap, all that negativity about his attitude stemmed from that. Mm-hmm. That's where yeah, it, that's where it. I that's mean, where he it certainly came from. didn't help himself in, with some of the stuff last year. No, oh no, last Not year totally definitely compounded you. it. Uh, and to get get this back on track to what we were talking about with the Red Sox and how the tale of two teams this year, anyways, the Red Sox went downhill Yankees uh improved even with all the injuries I mean look at the season series the Yankees 14 and 5 against the Red Sox this year last year they were 9 and 10 yeah that's I mean that's really when you see what they've done against uh the AL East it's super impressive um the fact that they've handled the Boston Red Sox this entire season um definitely speaks to that and you know look this is this is another thing like you look at what happened last year with the Boston Red Sox we've we've talked about this a hundred times uh everything went beautifully everything went perfectly for them even the injuries like they all happened at the right time and then everybody got back at the right time uh so the the stars were aligned for them last year and i think it masked some of the deficiencies and also it's very clear that the boston red sox were definitely trying to stay under that luxury tax we know that they didn't sign kimbrell we know that they didn't do really they're anything over to, the luxury tax this year but they didn't address uh no it's the, i thought their second one where they're um no they have the highest payroll in baseball oh i thought they who did they sign that took them over Evaldi? No, Evaldi kept them. They were still under it. 
Chimbrel was one of the linchpins for that second threshold. I don't know about. We got to look I, it up again. But yeah, I'm pretty sure they were. I under, know the Red Sox have the highest payroll in baseball this year. They were. And that under, was one of the things that that uh, was said that I was reading this week when Dombrowski was fired. Is that you can't have the highest payroll in baseball and miss the playoffs. It just can't happen. And someone's going to have to take a fall. Dombrowski's taking a fall also because they didn't believe he could do what they wanted to do. What they want to do now. What John Henry apparently wants to do now is get under the luxury tax. Is cut payroll is walk away from guys that are going to be hard decisions like Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez and start getting some prospects back. That is what John Henry wants to do, and he is, does not think Dabrowski's capable of doing that. Well, that's not what Dabrowski does. He doesn't deal with prospects. Right. He deals with guys that have money. And but Dombrowski's still under contract win. this year. They're yeah, paying I mean, Dombrowski just to go away. Well, I, I know there, you're looking a, up the luxury tax stuff. There's but. a lot. Of, there's a lot of money that's that's in, involved for what they're doing next year, though. If you have, who cares if you're paying him? If he's making those decisions, then you're costing yourself a hell of a lot more. No, no. If of you're course. doing the wrong thing, of course. Uh, and it's not like even when you look at the season series, the Yankees were. Uh, it's not like they dominated them on the mound. The Yankees' ERA was five point five five, which is terrible. The Red Sox' ERA six point five two against the Yankees, even more terrible. Uh, London may have affected some of these numbers. Uh, just thinking about those two games in London, that, that was fake baseball for a weekend. But uh, even if you take those out, the numbers aren't great. Uh, the Red Sox actually out-homered the Yankees in the season series, but it was really the biggest difference was uh, timely hitting and bullpen. That's what it came down to. That's exactly, Even though the Red Sox bullpen has been decent this year, um, that's, what, that's basically what the, the season series came down to. I mean, that was a huge area that they needed to improve that they just didn't touch. Well, they somehow just... their bullpen has been better ERA-wise than their starting rotation. Well, I think their starting rotation took a nosedive. That's 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 also a factor when you're looking at what Parcello done. Uh, price fell off a cliff. Sale never even got to the cliff. I mean, the dude is uh, – they've, they've had a terrible year on the starter side. So, you know, maybe that's just – the fact that they've been so bad has, has made the bullpen not look as bad. It's a bad pitching staff overall. That's just yeah. what they've become. Uh, and the Yankees pitching staff is starting to round at the forum. Paxton was really good um, on the road, which is encouraging. He pitched uh, six and two-thirds innings, three walks. Would like to see him reduce that. But overall, uh, a great start. No runs against the Red Sox, who, even though they're dead, they're the walking dead at that point. They're still a dangerous offense. Uh, do you think... Because uh, now there's there's no question in my mind right now he's the game one playoff starter. Are are you Has still up? Are you still point. up in the air? Because well, I last think episode w- you said Tanaka. Well, right. I, I think and and one I know start doesn't necessarily change things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been on the I've been on the you got to start Paxton over Tanaka for about two weeks now because what have you done for me lately? Well, that's Not, the thing. But that's the thing. Who's pitching better right now? Right, but that's right, who I'm going with, and we're not in the playoffs right now, so that's the thing. Like, still, I, I, I still think Tanaka is probably the leader in the clubhouse. But if you have Paxton continuing this and and staying on this path for the rest of the season, you know, with with minor hiccups, um, then then yeah, I think that changes. But uh, he's got to continue it. I mean, yeah, he's been an unbelievable, really unbelievable. So right now, he's been their best pitcher, and you should throw your best pitcher. So well, and I just think he's the only starter. Barring Severino coming back and, and turning back into 80% of Severino. He's the one starter on the team that can just take the bats and shove them right down your throat. Like, no chance. 
Well, I mean, I, I would argue that Paxton can do the same. Paxton. I just can said. Act- I just said Paxton. Oh, I thought you meant Severino. They I said other that barring Severino oh, yeah, yeah. coming back and being able to do that too. Paxton is the one starter. No doubt who can about just it. wipe out a, wipe out a, a lineup for a game. I mean, you say wipe out. I think when in your men, in your head, I've known you long enough. You're you're thinking high high velocity fastball that that goes along with the strikeout. But yes, you have I'm a, thinking overpowering, making hitters look overmatched. Okay, but when you look at what Herman does with the the strikeout um, percentage or the swing to miss ratio with what he has when he's on, he also makes people look very stupid, but for different reasons. Uh, so Herman has not been on for about two months now. No, he has not been on. But I'm saying he's he's got when he is on, he's that guy. He can make swing him. Uh, he's not a contact guy. I, I I'm a little upset about the rainout tonight because I wanted to see how Herman looked out of the bullpen. Right, because he's going to be backing up Sabathia. I I think there's a real chance we don't even see Herman start in the playoffs. He'll pitch. Obviously, he's going to pitch. But I think they're not trusting him to. I think that he's. It's not like he's done anything to lose their trust. I just think, I don't know if he ever really had it. Well, I think it was out of necessity for a while. Everybody was was injured, and Domingo Herman was the guy that was stepping up in place of Severino, and he was putting up light Severino-like numbers for the first half of the year. So when you're seeing the, the splits of what Severino did last year and then what Herman did in the first year, there's not that much of a discrepancy when there you was. see I mean, how much... Again, we've, we've talked about it. There but, was when a, but when you're seeing the, when wins you're seeing the losses, production... No. Wins and losses, when, no. But the production, the production of a player, when you're seeing that, it's it, it was very similar in the way that he was doing it, with the way that he was leading this this uh, this team, and the way that he picked it up. I know Severino had like one of the all time like first halves last year, and he was unhittable. Like the guy was phenomenal. But yeah. Herman, when you're coming out there, he maybe he didn't have to that extreme, but he was getting the same results when he was going out. Yeah, the same results. If you mean Yankees winning the game that he started. Oh, I mean, I mean productive, high quality starts. And I'm not saying six innings quality start. I'm saying highly productive quality starts from a guy getting a ton of swings and misses. I think we're, I think we're splitting hairs here because, but I, I just flat out disagree that Domingo Herman was as good as Severino was in the first half half of last year. He just wasn't. He was great. He was great. He just wasn't that good. Um, and but I think. He was what they needed at the time, and that was great. He stabilized the rotation when the rotation was otherwise a complete disaster. I mean, that thing, think about what, what was the rotation in the first half of the year? Domingo Herman, and then an untrustworthy Pax, an untrustworthy Tanaka. Uh, and Tanaka, Tanaka's been... And terrible Hap. Tanaka's had like you know those outlier starts, but for the most part, he's been fine. Sunday night against the Red Sox, he pitched four innings and gave up four runs. Fine. Fine? No, that's, not, that's not good. But I'm saying for the for the most part, the majority of the season. You I know out, you're not you a sabermetrician. You throw out some of the blow. I know it's nine runs a game. I get it. Okay. The, um, the, <laughs> the, the, um, the blowout. The blowout starts. Uh, yeah, he's had those. There's no doubt. Fine, yes. I, I'll i grant you throwing out the London start. You even want to throw out the disaster at Fenway Park, which I don't think you should. Okay. He's still been inconsistent. He's so been inc- why, oh, there's no doubt he's been inconsistent. That's uh, why and he's I, found more consistency with this new grip. And I guarantee and I and I and I definitely agree that he could go out in the playoffs and and be great. He could pitch game 2 and give you 6 innings of one run and it's like beautiful. But I'm not I am not I don't have a con- enough confidence in Tanaka right now to send him out there for game 1 and then knowing he's going to be the guy potentially game 5. You can't do that. I I think we, again, if 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 uh, Paxton continues this, 
and this is the Paxton that we uh, that we see for the remainder of the year, then you just can't do that. You, you absolutely can't. You have to throw your best guy in that sense. You yeah. have to. Um, Especially because it's such a big difference. Like, he's dominating. Right. So And against really good lineups recently, Dodgers, Red Sox. And it's not a – and when you see the stuff, when you see the, the high 90s fastball – and then him changing the speeds and the locations of what the way he's doing it now. I mean, he's he's really pitching too. He's not just over. He's not just throwing out there and not going off of brute stuff. Like he's he's pitching around things. He's he's um he's, he's hitting spots. But the fact that he can change the speed as well as he is now and getting that different eye location like that to me is is one of the uh, the biggest differences in, in him now and what he was early in the season. And I know people have talked about matchups, like who are they going to be playing in the ALDS? Maybe you play a matchup game. I think you're getting too cute if you're playing a matchup game in game one of the playoffs. Yeah, because theoretically, I mean, maybe they're they're pressed because of the wild card, right? But and how the and how the season ends, you they right. you might see their best burn. pitcher game three. Yeah, right. Yeah, because they may be trying to they may be trying to win the game before the wild card game, right? To not get in the wild card game or right. get home field advantage of the wild card game. You never know. So, uh, which is, which is great, which I'm loving talking about because right. it's other just people sit back, put our feet up and enjoy watching teams try and kill themselves to yeah. get to the next round. Yeah. Just root for root for, you know, 15 inning games. Hell yeah. All day. Definitely. Give me, give me everybody the shit pitches. out of these games. Everybody pitches yeah. on the wild card game. <laughs> um, the, and hopefully wherever that's played, that team has to fly far as shit to get to New York for the, for the first game. I don't know how much the flight really kicks into it, but why not? Let's throw You're that in there. You're telling me it's Tampa at Oakland for the wild card game. Tampa flies to Oakland, and they say Tampa wins, then they got to fly to New York. That's not going to affect them. I mean, these guys were uh, on a flight to Detroit. You saw them. Co- I did Knocked see them cozied out. up, cozied up in the in the Knocked little uh, blankets. What is that? A, what is that? A two-hour, three-hour flight to Detroit? Yeah. I'm saying so. You're sleeping. So what's the difference? Give me five hours or three hours. No, you know there's a difference. It's just sleeping on a plane is not comfortable, even if you're in a a luxury seat. Honestly, I was surprised by the accommodations. Did not look comfortable. Not great. It actually gave this, me agita because I don't like. I can't stand when I can't stretch my legs out. I have said, uh, I've said this before on the show. Why are the Yankees chartering just like a regular flight? Why yeah. are they not? Why does everyone not have a pod? Right. I mean, you are the richest franchise in baseball. You are worth the most. You are. You put all this money and investment into making sure these players are. It, does, at the top it doesn't of their have game. to be the Boston Red Sox chartered flight no, like no, they no. had. That. Everyone just has a pod. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. You're flying Boston to New York. Maybe you don't have a pod. But any flight longer than two hours, you got give me a pod. You should have. They should have pods. I, I'm. I, when I saw what they were, I'm like, are these guys riding coach. Like, it looks like they're all riding coach. It's like you got Chapman, who's like six five, whatever. His legs are six like six, in, even though he's only. Face. Chapman's yeah. legs are longer than his body. Somehow the math works out. But his yeah, his legs were stretched out above uh, Geo's head. So yeah, not great. And our boy DJ in the back studying up just because he's going through. He's going through a little slump. You cannot First, go through slumps. You think he's going to sleep if he's slumping? You can't do that. First slump uh, I can remember of his this season. He was in a three for twenty-two skid. That's one thirty-six. He broke it with an RBI single. Uh, a little update on his key situation. So runners in scoring position. He is now hitting four oh four 
46 for 114 with a 172 WRC plus, which is massive, and a 428 WOBA. High leverage situation. So this is a... um, Fangraphs and baseball reference calculate leverage a little bit differently. So this is um, Fangraphs high leverage situations. He's hitting 378 in 37 at bats, 404 Woba, 155 WRC plus. Uh, so even though he has come back down to earth a little bit, we knew that was going to happen. He's not going to hit 500 all season with runners in scoring position. Still great. I got to tell you, I thought it was going to happen all year. <laughs> <laughs> I found the Red Sox stat, by the way. I was right. So they. What um, is their payroll? So the um, here we go. Uh, they have a major league high of two forty point eight at July first. They were thirty four point eight million over the tax threshold. They have to pay the fifty percent repeater tax on anything they spend over that threshold. But if they go over it by more than forty million, that threshold soars to ninety five percent plus um, the significant loss of next year's amateur draft. So he's been trying to stay under that, and now uh, Wait, hold on. So he's, he can't exceed two forty six. So they're at two forty. So they have six. They had six million under it. Right. So that's why that was you know one of the big reasons potentially why they didn't sign Kimbrel or another. It's exactly why reliever. they didn't sign him, or why did they didn't do anything at the deadline? Because it was too close. If they acquired someone, the, the money that they probably brought over would have been. But see, then the counter argument to that is if you're John Henry uh, and you're already spending two hundred and forty million dollars and you're trying to just win another World Series because anything other than that for the Red Sox this year was a failure. Do what you got to do, or don't because you know that you're not going to get it because you think because they're further away than one closer. I don't know. I'm talking about uh, like back in in January. Yeah, like I mean, they, when they you're made assembling your team for next year, like why are you pinching pennies now? Well, that's the problem. They're they're signing guys like Avaldi, trying to get by, getting cute, and staying under that threshold, thinking that they can do it again. Euphoria. Uh, on a on a winner's high, thinking that you can do no wrong. Literally, you just had the perfect season, so you're making decisions in a, a clouded judgment at this point. Oh, that that Evaldi signing was a hundred percent a thank you for pitching that in that eighteen inning game. I'm not even saying it was a could. thank you. It was like it was oh, a, we, no, no, no. I it think was it a was, thank you. I think it was we believe you, which is even worse. Except, too bad everyone in baseball said that's a bad contract. Well, guess what? They they're smarter than everybody else. They're in Boston. They're smarter than everybody else. That's what they think. So, anyway, enough of them. There was a weird play in the in this game, uh, the Monday game, where it was fourth inning and runners on second and third. Encarnacion was at third, and he runs on contact. I don't know why the contact play is on with Encarnacion running. He's slow as shit. Um, and he was thrown out by a wide margin. Uh, it, was a, it was a grounder to third base, I believe. Um, so, you know, this got me thinking, like, if there's one, if there's like a weakness that just, you know, maybe a lot of people might not be thinking about for this team in the playoffs, it might be base running. Just eye test wise, because that's really what I was going on. Eye test wise, the Yankees are not a good base running team. And then I started to look at some of the metrics and I use Fangraph's base running metric, which is an all encompassing stat that uh, combines stolen bases, caught stealing, and other quote base running plays, like taking extra bases, being thrown out on the bases, et cetera into a runs above or below average. So it's a very easy stat to understand. If you're positive, you're good. If you're negative, you're bad. If you're zero, you're zero. Uh, And the Yankees uh, as a team, I I had it in here. Where did it go? Yankees as a team are 14th in Major League Baseball with 0.1 positive runs. So basically zero. They're a league average base running team. 
Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. That's not gonna not gonna kill you. That's fine. We're not a big stolen base team. Not a guy. A lot of home run hitters. Right. How many home run hitters go first to third? That is what I discovered because when you look at the different playoff teams and where they rank in Major League Baseball, the best team that's in the playoffs is Tampa. They're sixth. That makes sense for Tampa. Then Cleveland's twelfth. Yankees are fourteenth. Oakland's twenty second. Minnesota's twenty third. Houston is twenty sixth. What do Oakland, Minnesota, Houston, and the Yankees all have in common, and Cleveland for that matter? They hit a lot of home runs. They don't want to make outs on the base passes because they want two-run home runs and three-run home runs. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to – you'll probably see a discrepancy. um, Well, Oakland kind of throws this out the way, Minnesota. But the the, the power hitters cost more money, right? So a lot of times when you see a team that's spending more money and they're getting more home runs – they're one. These guys are paid a sh- ton of money to drive the ball and to to um, to knock runners in. So, like you said, they don't want to cause uh, any outs on the base path if they don't have to because they're paying that guy to knock you in yeah, it's from first base. It's it's a it's a it's it's, it's a, a philosophy. Cha- it's, it's coaching. It's coaching. Yeah, it's they're coaching these strategy. guys not to do that. It's the yeah. strategy of baseball strategy. today. Yeah, yeah. So they're uh, but when you see like Oakland and they're I mean that's you know that's Billy Bean getting lucky. Some <laughs> fell into some power hitters. <laughs> Uh, and on the Yankees, Gardner's the best base runner. No surprise there. 4.6 base running uh, above average. Judge, 1.3 is second. I was surprised. Gard- uh, Didi is third, 1.1. Why were you surprised by that? I, I just think of Didi as a, as a stupid base runner. He's made mm-hmm. countless bad base running plays in his time with the Yankees. Yeah. The, um, I don't know. I feel like if you have some speed, you're probably going to be rated better than not speed. And it'll, and it'll throw, it'll throw it off. So there goes your uh, theory. Sneaky fast, man. That parrot put some wings behind him. I think as much as being fast, it's it's don't make mistakes. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. That's what the Yankees are looking for. They're not necessarily looking for go first to third when you really shouldn't have. It's don't get thrown out trying to go first and third. So where was Glaber on this list? He was uh, just below league average, minus zero point six. Okay, uh, not terrible. Last year he was like minus two point five. Yeah, he makes boneheaded moves. I mean, just it's it's uh, it's just it's his vice. It's the one thing that we'll, we'll, we'll we can complain about Glaber if you're gonna if you're gonna look for something to complain about Glaber Torres, which there's not much. Let's there's not much. No, it's lapses. It's, 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 it's lapses mental lapses in, in, uh, in, in focus or whatever running. it is. Yeah, it cost him four runs the other day. Yeah, um, Voit minus four. He's the worst because he runs the bases like a meathead. Yeah, he puts his head down, just runs. It's not fast. It's not good. My name Luke. Must get to next bat. Yeah, he surprised the ball didn't go out. <laughs> uh, Talkman was positive one point two. It's another reason why not having Talkman on the playoff roster might might come might be more of a hit than you realize. I mean, when you look at what the way that this season has gone, and obviously the way that he's played. I mean, he he went from being compared to Mike Trout for a solid month, <laughs> uh, then you know slowed down a little bit. I'd say, but still. Uh, a very good player and far exceeded anybody's expectations outside the organization. Who knows what they were expecting inside the organization? But um, obviously, they they thought. Uh, well, Brian they, Cashman they will beat his him. chest and say that yeah. he expected this. Of course, yeah. The nerds. That's, thought, that's what he gets to do when he has. Right. When, when he's right, the player in and it works. Absolutely, then he gets to beat his chest. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that everybody else has gone down, the fact that we haven't had Stanton for the entire season, um, and now Gardner is playing center field because Hicks is out makes left field a very big like it could be a very big problem because when you have uh the options now of of Frazier and Mabin 
and Tyler Wade and maybe Stanton if he can go out and play left supposed field be, when he comes back. To be back next uh, they're, stand. They're saying he's he's going to be a fielder, not just a DH. Well, yeah, because um, you've got yeah. You you have to at you some point. To. Someone's going to have to play the field with Encarnacion, Voight, and bodies out there. Um, but you know, it's a it's a hole now that Talkman's not out there as far as uh, defensiveness. I think defensive prowl prowlness. Although Tyler Wade looks damn comfortable out there in any position, the guy just looks like he's comfortable in every position. Yeah. It's really yeah. more and more. I'm watching him play. I'm seeing a lot of confidence in Boone and 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 loving the fact that he can put him anywhere on the field at a certain point in the game. And I feel like that is uh, one of those just like those uh those gold standard check marks for a manager when it comes to the postseason i uh i still think that would be a wasted roster spot but i could see them doing it you don't well what if left field now you're looking at um stanton or clint frazier in left field now you have a a potential defensive problem late in the game well yeah okay fine if if they're outfield uh, going into the playoffs, because Hicks is probably done for the season too. That's what it looks Talkman like. Talkman and Hicks are, are done, likely done for the season. So if your outfield is Judge, Gardner, Stanton, and then you need uh, and then you have Mabin as a fourth outfielder. Mabin's got a hit for the rest of the year. He's also dealing with a wrist issue. Yeah. So I don't even think he needs to hit. I, I think he's just going to be on the roster because he can. That's why I think Tyler Wade's out there right now. I think Maven do you is. Trust, do you trust Tyler Wade in the outfield more than Maven? I know Maven's had no, his no, adventures. No, no, I'm not saying but... it's. I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying Tyler Wade is insurance in case uh, Maven uh, can't. Because Maven, Maven could play center field, but he's not. No, Maven. He, but he could. Maven's not going to. No. If Gardner would, went down, Maven could play center field. He wouldn't though. Who would? Judge. Judge. Yes. That's a problem for me. No, I don't like Eric, that. Aaron Judge is a, a far better outfielder than Cameron Maven. I understand point. that, but there's also a lot of liability issues that come come with that. Uh, having moving Judge to center field in the playoffs when he hadn't played there all year long. I'm sorry, but that's that's a that's a it, tough thing to do. Cameron Maven hasn't played there all all year long. I understand he's played this there is, in his career. This is my but point. The last time he played significant time in center field, it was very below average. My this point, was like years ago. My point was is that he could, but he's not the guy that they want to put out there at all. So Tyler Wade right. is now getting an audition in the outfield and seeing what he looks like and his comfort level in different positions. I think you've got to stick Tyler Wade in center field a couple of these games. Oh, hell they yeah. They put He's, him in right field last night, but yeah. they got to stick. I didn't see a lineup tonight. Did you? I did not see it before the rain out, no. Uh, you got to give him some time in center field. So there's going to be some experimentation, but at the same time now, this is also going into the fact that they're trying to get home field advantage. And now oh, we're are they trying to get home field thing. advantage? Well, I couldn't tell from last night. You know... Some nights you just can't throw everybody, all right? And you, they're the Detroit Tigers. Hit a few home runs. Let's win this game. How are you supposed to know that you're going you're, to you're, – even the bad pitchers on the Yankees are going to give up that many damn runs against the Tigers? <laughs> um, we'll talk about that Tigers game because it was damn frustrating. But a Tyler couple- Wade by far gives you the most, most athleticism out there. He looks comfortable. Uh, yeah, you know, oh, whether you hate him or question. not as an offensive player, the guy can play defense and run no, the bases. And he's not going to get in that bat in the playoffs, so it no, doesn't really unless matter it's an extra inning game and he's in there for defensive reasons and it keeps going. That's it. And if your your question or was, do you do you carry Clint Frazier or Tyler Wade? I carry Tyler Wade for that very reason because even though Clint Frazier can give you good at bat, maybe okay. Sorry, I'm I'm jumping around, but if if Stanton's not back, then maybe you do carry Clint Frazier because then he's going to need to get at bats. Right, and I rather have. Clint Frazier hitting 
than Tyler Wade running and playing defense. Well, if, if Stanton isn't, if they don't want him playing the outfield every single day also, I mean, we have to see how that works. If he can't play his, the outfield every single day, then don't put him on the roster. I'm serious. Yeah. You maybe, have a DH already. You have two DHs pretty much with Voight and Encarnacion. Right. So then you're now you're looking at, let's just say he's a DH or not on the roster because for this scenario, it doesn't matter. If he's not playing left field, you're looking at an audition right now, head-to-head, mano-a-mano, one-on-one, Clint Frazier, Cameron Maven. The guy that kept him in the AAA for a while, yeah. and now Tyler Wade's getting thrown in there. But he's not the guy that's going to be playing left field uh, to start games. It's going to be one of those two. I don't think you can carry Stanton as a DH and Voight and Encarnacion. That, that's, that is – you're handcuffing yourself. Yeah. Because your bench at that point is Austin Romine, who's a backup catcher, and then three DH first ba- – two DH first baseman and just a DH. And and like a, a utility guy, that is that is all. You're putting you're setting yourself up for a lot of trouble if you do that. Yeah, there's no flexibility. That's the key word. Of, we know they like flexibility. We have 472 savages heading into the Bronx for Game Two of the ALDS. We don't know who they're going to play yet. That doesn't matter. People are pumped up. If you did not get tickets through us and you want to go to a playoff game. We're going to have tickets for the ALCS and the World Series, but if you want to go to an ALDS game and you do not get tickets through us, use SeatGeek. That is going to be the best way to find tickets. Uh, SeatGeek, uh, they pull millions of tickets to live events. They have a price match guarantee. Um, you can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They've built the fastest uh, way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. They have 50,000 five-star reviews in their uh, in the app store on their app. The app is so seamless. It's so smooth. They color code all of the tickets from red. That means you're getting a bad deal all the way up to green. That means you're getting a good deal. Um, they It's it's graded on a scale from one to ten. Um they display them, like I said, in an interactive seat map. Sometimes you go onto some of these other apps or websites, and it's just convoluted and confusing. You don't know what you're clicking on. SeatGeek, it's easy to tap through, and, and they show you the preview of the, of the seat as well. It's beautiful. I love it. I've used it uh, many different times to not only go to Yankees games, to go to the theater. I took, I took, uh, took Leanne out to a nice little Broadway show that got me a lot of points last Valentine's Day. I know you've used it to see the shitty Jets. I don't yeah, know why Michael K. Michael K. does not use it because he gets uh, fraudulent tickets to go to Broadway, and then can't get in because the tickets are no good. Not that problem. Not gonna have that problem. Seek Geek guarantees, guarantees the tickets. There's no fraudulent tickets, so he's clearly not using Seek Geek. That's his thing. Seek Geek will even give you ten dollars off your first Seek Geek purchase. All you got to do is use our promo code. Download the Seek Geek app today and use promo code Bronx for ten dollars off your first purchase. That's promo code Bronx for ten bucks off your first purchase. All right, so this Detroit game, first one, uh, first game of the series. They tried to get cute. They tried to steal a game. They thought, we're going in to play the 100 Lost Tigers. We can throw out Nestor Cortez plus Guerin plus Loisica plus Chance Adams, and we're going to score a bunch of runs, and we're going to win. It almost worked. They almost got away with one, but they, they didn't. <laughs> they went up 6 nothing. 6 nothing. You're up 6-zip, and you immediately give it back with 6 in the third inning. Uh, Glaber Torres Torres error was definitely the turning point of that inning. No, no, uh, no if ands or buts about it. But it's still not an excuse. Your pitching still sucked against a crappy team. What did the yes graphic show? They were either 29th or 30th in baseball in every offensive category. 
Yeah, they're a bad team. They're, I mean, just a completely bad team. You're right. They, that inning changed it um, with uh, with Glaber not seeing the ball, and it was a it was a double play. Ending inning ending. Uh, Sessa comes in, gets the ground ball, and then from there it just kind of snowballed out. It spiraled I mean, out of control. Yeah, there were bad things that happened. Four runs scored. I mean, even ground balls that he got that were still going through the the infield, um, finding holes. And it just escalated from there and, and kept going and unfortunately kept them in the game. Ball kept leaving the park. But you know what I saw from this game? I saw one thing. I saw one thing and one thing only. Didi. Didi's getting getting hot, baby. Heating back swag, up. Getting that swag back. Getting 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 a little smoke on that bat because we know what happens when Didi gets hot. Didi gets hot. Don't let him get hot. Yeah. I mean, the offense was not a problem. They hit six home runs and scored ten runs. I just looking at Didi. I just I want okay. I want Didi to get right at the plate. That's there are certain things that we have to we have to do ending the season, right? Home field advantage, obviously. Let's talk about that ad nauseum. But in order to get there, you need your players to play well. And I want my shortstop to play well. Because he is our shortstop. He's going to be the starting shortstop in the playoffs. Why not hit well? <laughs> Why not get him going and uh, and and get him to a point where he's feeling good? Because we know what he's like in clutch situations. Dude's clutch. Um, yeah. I mean, so you're taking a positive spin on it, and I'm not even being negative about last night because everyone who sucked in that game, with the exception of Adam Adovino, is not going to be pitching for you in high leverage situations. So it's a weird game. Okay, weird game. But it's still the fact that. What are they trying to do? What are the Yankees trying to do? Are they trying to win home field advantage? Or are they trying to take an opportunity to rest guys? See, that's the thing. I, I don't think, like, everybody's like, oh, got to win home field advantage. They're going after home field advantage. Yes, they're going after home field advantage. They're not going to go at the, at the cost of breaking guys down and, and playing like they normally would. That would be ludicrous. When you're playing the Detroit Tigers... You'd think, as one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team in baseball, that you can probably throw a few other guys out there, score 11 runs, and win the game. <laughs> so oh. y- there's ways to win games without burning your entire and, – and, and it doesn't need to be, oh, you're, you don't care about that game. I, I just don't – that narrative to me is so convenient when you lose a weird game like you described it to the Detroit Tigers. It's an easy way to go. And we know Canley was unavailable for this uh, yes. tendonitis. This what was it? Wrist tendonitis, right? Yeah, I think it was wrist tendonitis. Wrist yeah. tendonitis, which is uh, you know that's that's something to keep he an eye on. He didn't pitch since Saturday, right? But Boone said after last night's game, he would be good to go for Wednesday night's game. I know there's no game, but he would have been good to go. So three days off is, I guess, all he needed to heal his wrist tendonitis. He was not good enough to go Tuesday night when they needed him. But then after the game, Boone said, "No, no he's good to go tomorrow. Don't worry, guys." That's very convenient timing. Well, I mean, look, they have at this point, I think they're scheduling guys for days off. If, they, if you feel something, you're probably going to get the day off. So there's probably now a new code be like, look, no need to tough it out anymore, guys. Right now we're in the home stretch. We're all going for this, but it's next man up. We've done it all year long. If you're feeling something, if you're feeling a lingering injury, now is not the time to try to push through it and get yourself hurt. Look what happened to Mike Talkman. Apparently he'd been complaining or they knew about their uh, something in his calf that was a problem for a while he's pushing through it obviously in a position where he's got to continue up his play because there's guys right behind him that might take his spot it's a very competitive spot in the outfield for the yankees right now um or it was (laughs) and then and then boom you know uh grade two strain or whatever it is popped his calf 
Who knows if that was because, uh, you know, he was playing on something hurt and it just got worse. I don't know. But it's something to think about. And I think they're going to be more cautious than they would if they had a three-run lead. And I don't care about that. I mm. want them to be healthy over all things. Yeah. Yes, home field advantage is important. But be and healthy. It backfired last night because um, they ended up having to use Britain and Ottavino yeah. <laughs> when they didn't Britain plan on good. doing it. So they end up using two of their big high-leverage guys last night. But I'm looking at the schedule now. So they were off last Thursday before the Boston series. Going into last night, they thought they were not going to be off again until the 16th, right? 16th after the Toronto series. So going into last night, they had six games before an off day. And then they have an off day, and then they play six more games, and then they have an off day. Two more games, off day. And then the last season of uh, last series of the season, there's three off days coming up in the next two weeks. That's more than you normally have. I'm not saying that resting guys is the wrong move and, and trying to get everyone good is, is not the right move because it is the right move. But again, you're getting awfully cute when you go in with Nestor Cortez backed up by Cody Guerin, backed up by Jonathan Loisaga, backed up by, I mean, out of, you know, give up. I know you didn't look good. He, but Adovino was not plan, was not in the plan to pitch last night. He so? pitched because they ended up getting a lead. Uh, Boone was trying to get everybody a day off. Everybody who mattered a day off. Right. But they uh, they they brought in some of their it guys, and one of them didn't. Yeah, it didn't look. It, it happens. I'm just I'm just not going to blow a gasket over over a freaking. Am uh, I blowing a gasket? No, not you. But there's a lot of people that are complaining the fact that they because they lost some some. Some game in Detroit that that it's 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 the uh, the this the no, firm you know decision and the do? path of the of the of the thinking of the New York Yankees that they don't care about home field advantage because they tried to get some guys off and it's not even so much about the three days those off days like that's that's not I don't think that really plays as much into it it's what are you feeling right now are you knocked up do you feel knocked up do you feel uh, something going on with uh with something on your body because if you do speak up. It's a little bit more leniency at this point. We're gonna we're, we're gonna err on the side of caution. I think that's a thing. They roll uh, Mike Talkman out there on crutches and say, "Look at this guy! Don't do the do don't do what this guy did. Yeah, don't be yeah. a hero. Don't be a hero." Um, the uh, I don't remember what I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the home runs. So six home runs last night. Gardner now has the he had two. He's got the most home runs. Is he um, the team lead yet? Yeah. He had most home runs for his career at, at any point. So I asked on Twitter, and I seriously asked, do people still care about home runs? Because I wanted to know. Yeah. Um, it was pretty split. Uh, I didn't do a poll, but I would say 60% of the responses said, yes, I still love home runs, still still get excited by home runs. But a healthy percentage said, no, kind of desensitized. There was a, Someone used a great analogy. So what's your favorite food, Scott? What's your favorite meal? Um, one one more meal of your life, like you're on death row. You you're gonna go balls out, and you're gonna eat this meal. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a medium rare steak. Medium probably, rare steak, like probably big, a strip cut. Ju- like huge, right? Like big, like twenty four ouncer, like loaded baked potato on the side. No, maybe. I would I would probably not gonna go for a twenty four ouncer because I, I would I would I would uh, question the cut of that of said meat at okay. that point. But you get my point. I get your point. Whatever your favorite meal is. If you love like big, juicy bacon double cheeseburger and you have that once a week, that's your cheat meal. 
Yeah. It fucking tastes delicious. Oh. You love it. Yep. Yep. What happens if you're forced to eat that five times a night? It's not going to taste so good. Five times a night? Yeah. Every 30 minutes, you're eating another bacon double cheeseburger. You're eating another nice medium rare steak. You're going to get sick. It's not going to be as fun. And that's what's happened with home runs. It is a perfect analogy. That is what happened with home runs. It's a pretty terrible analogy. Home runs used to be exciting, okay? (laughs) Home runs used to be exciting, right? Brett Gardner should not be hitting mid-20s home runs. He shouldn't, okay? It no longer is impressive if Brett Gardner, who's been a fantastic Major League Baseball player and maybe uh, uh, one of the most beloved Yankees of the last decade, he is not a 25 home run hitter. He but why do, but why does it have to be I mean maybe it's just maybe it's just the the way that the game is and progressing and it doesn't need to be this sexy thing anymore it's just part of the game now. Well that sucks. Well, yeah, I mean I I think that the steroid era, you know, made this the the home run ball, you know, uh, they they made it Hollywood. It was it was it was this big ritzy well, whatever glittery thing that was phenomenal then. and everybody loves it. Why did it, it? Seem, why did it seem different in the in the steroid era? Because because first of all, the coverage just wasn't the same. I've been trying to put my finger on it. I, the, I, have not I think been it's able the to. it's the media coverage. The media coverage now we're all desensitized to media coverage. Period. Because it's 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 everywhere you go. It's in your face. You're you can't get away from it. Whereas you go back to the '90s in those home runs, '98, wherever you're going, you're you're you don't have uh, the internet like it is. You don't have that. You have. You have you're still watching television to get your highlights. You're still going to a, a place at 6 p.m. to watch Sports Center, and everybody is locked in on what's happening. And they can control the story, they can control the the tone, they can control the narrative. Media is so different now, where we're consuming what we want. The narratives are much harder to uh, to control as far as a team or a league. The the consumer is almost controlling the narratives at this point because they can go anywhere they want to watch anything. So back then it was. It was one message. It was one message, and Bud Selig was running the show, and he was feeding, feeding that. Uh, uh, what, what's the movie with um, with John Kerry where he's in a bubble? The Truman Show. It's like the Truman Show. He's he's just feeding us Jim, this this one Jim, thing. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yeah, the Truman Show. You, you never saw John, that show? You said John Carrey. Uh, Jim, whatever. I did see the Truman Show. It's a good yeah, movie. Good movie. So uh, that's the big difference, I think. I think a lot of people don't uh, – they take it for granted because it's just – you know maybe they grew up in the, in the digital media era. But when you don't have cell phones uh, at your fingertips to look up a score and you have to go to a television to watch a highlight and you know all the broadcasters because they're the only place you can get your information and your, uh, your tone for a game. And then you have guys who are on highlights like Len Berman on Channel 4 in New York. And you're looking at like that's the guy where you get your sports, or you go to the paper the next day. It's uh, that the communication is a big deal. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that might be it. Yeah, that could very well be it. Also, I was, I was 12 years old in the middle of the steroid era. That probably has something to do with it. Yeah, there but were, 12, year, 12 years old today, you're all over Twitter, Instagram. You do whatever you want. No, but 12 year olds might love home runs now. Every My point time, is they can every get home whatever, run that's hit, they might get excited. But they're not they're not hearing it's not the same feeling as it was in '98. Is my point? Like they're yeah. they're just seeing they're seeing a billion highlights of it. Everybody's cutting their own highlight. Whereas you're uh, both, in '98, you're watching the same highlight. Everybody. Yeah, listening to uh, sports back, 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 back. Yeah, you're hearing that a lot. Yeah, thank God Berman's not 
not doing that anymore, especially with this home run rate. My computer is acting slow as crap. I'm trying to look up how many home runs. So in 1998, there were 5,064 home runs hit in Major League Baseball that season. And if my computer will load, I will tell you how many home runs were hit in 2019. But let's move on while that loads. So the funny thing about this is when you're looking at this year and what the home runs have done, Minnesota Twins thought they had themselves a record. Minnesota (laughs) Twins thought they had the Yankees beat in a record that will go down in the history books. Mm-mm. Watch out. Bronx Bombers getting healthy. Bronx Bombers see those. This is what I'm saying. Those Minnesota Twins. It's so funny to Yankees... step on the Twins. It's funny to step on the Twins. Oh, yeah. I think I think it's funny to step on the Twins when the, the Twins Absolutely. are like, oh, we hit a lot of home runs. We're the best home runner. And then the Yankees are like, oh, hold on a minute. Oh, hold <laughs> my beer. Yeah. And you then just will be little brother again. Start hitting uh, the, the parrot goes for a walk like multiple right. times. Hold on. This can't be right. Would you say, ni- yeah, this is right. Would you say 1998 is the heart of the steroid era? Uh, like that's it, the year you think of Mark Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, like the whole home run chase. Fine. Late, it was, I don't yeah, know. I always say late nineties. I don't know if nineteen ninety eight was the highest home run in the steroid era or not. But there were what did I say? Five thousand and sixty four home runs hit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Six thousand and eighty four home runs so far this year. Yeah. We're on I mean, September. It's September eleventh. Look, th- there's a lot of th- other things though. It's. It, uh, it's for me. It's so difficult, especially in baseball. Really, in any sport, to to uh, crossover eras. So many different factors. I mean, the the amount of of different things that are happening. They had steroids. Well, now the ball is juiced, and everybody uh, is taught by swinging uh, in a different plane, and they're all swinging for the fences. It's a different game. It's hard to compare it, even with the the variables of of steroids well, or juiced balls or no, whatever. what I'm saying is why did it not I asked the question why did the steroid era feel different because there weren't as many home runs in the steroid era it was still more exciting there, there, you're right there were not as many home runs but the steroid era brought that in so maybe the amount were, of home runs that were exciting I'm not every baseball fan I am a I am only me I have you know I can have harsh opinions on some things. So I get sick of things quicker, more uh, quickly than a lot of people. I'm sick of home runs. It, I don't understand. Like, I this, am at the this being point. sick of home runs. I don't even know. What, what does that mean? You, so you don't, just don't want to see home runs anymore? It or is you're, unimpressive. When or, Brett Gardner hits a home run now, I don't care. It is unimpressive. It's a run on, but it's, it's a run on the board. That, that's yes, what matters. Yes, of course. I want the Yankees to win. So I want them to score runs. It's the fastest way to but get a run on the board, is it not? It is, it is no longer cool. Hitting a home run is no longer cool. To, that doesn't I, mean I it's no not longer, effective. That's not what I'm saying. But this but, is from a fan perspective. This I understand is from a, a watch a game watchability perspective. Okay, last, like uh, last night's game was not enjoyable. I know this they is, lost, but these games are not as fun to watch. I mean, an eleven to twelve game against a bad team is not fun to game watch in the period in the first place. But when you're when you're looking at what you're uh, what you've been exposed to, right? Anything. It doesn't matter what it is. You had your 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 very bad analogy from someone on Twitter about eating something every eight minutes, which is ludicrous. It doesn't even make any sense because your stomach is makes perfect. Whatever. Sense. Anyway, <laughs> the um. But if you're watching baseball in the '80s and the '90s, early '90s, you're looking at a lot more gaps hit. You're looking at a lot of uh, a lot of base running, a lot more bunting, a lot more that there's no shifting or any of that. So you're seeing that brand of baseball, right? You're you're used to that brand of baseball. Okay. Now all of a sudden these guys are getting massive. They're pumping these things into their veins. Nobody knows it at that time, but they're huge, and they're hitting the balls out. It's new. It's different. Awesome. The grass is greener now because I'm seeing home runs. And, and not only 
not only am I seeing home runs, but I didn't see them before, and they're fun because I didn't see a home run before. A home run feels different than a double if you're watching all doubles. And all of a sudden, you see the ball like majestically leave with, by, by the, the bat of some massive human being, and now there's a race as well? What are we doing here? So now we're looking at baseball, and you're saying, ah, I hate the home run ball. Home run ball is boring. It's whatever. But what are you getting excited for? The double and the gap. The running the bases, the long innings of guys hitting stringing hits together. The grass is greener. It's just what you're used to and what you've been exposed to, and you're getting sick of that. Yes, the better analogy would be going to the cafeteria and having the same food on a daily basis, and you get sick of that. Not That's exactly my, stuffing my your analogy. face for every eight. No, you made it weird. No, I didn't. What I said was you took something that was enjoyable because you loved it that you used to have sparingly and then you're having it all the time now and it's no longer enjoyable. That is that is the analogy. <laughs> you just you physically can't eat that many hamburgers. Holy shit. I can't eat that many hamburgers. Who can? Yeah, because it's but the Yankees can hit that many home runs. It's literal, of course. Uh, Aaron Judge hit the uh, rookie record for home runs uh, two years ago. Pete Alonso might break it this year. No one cares. It is not impressive that he's going to break this record because it's 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 like it's fake. Everyone knows the it's Mets fake. fans care. They only care because it, if he was breaking Cody someone Bellinger's else's record, record yeah. they would not give a shit. You're right. That's so, sad. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is Severino. Uh, pitch for Trenton tonight in a playoff game. I love that, don't you? There, whoever they're facing, poor guys have to go up against Severino in a playoff game. But that's he's like. Just that's like our men's league. Like you have to have a guy on your roster by I think it was July 10th in order for them to be eligible for the uh, for the playoffs. And you start seeing these like random random dudes show up in the playoffs. You're like, what is happening here? We had this team played the. I had Jose Lima pitch against me at one point. I'm like, Jose Lima Wait, is what? yeah, Jose Lima, the major league pitcher, was on a rehab assignment in uh, in Norfolk uh, at the Tides when they were with the Mets when they were the Mets farm system. And Jose Lima came out on a Sunday and pitched in an NABA game. You were playing? Yes. Did you did you get in that bat I against did, him? No, I did not face Jose Lima. He did came he in, up in a relief. I don't remember, honestly. I just remember him being there. And then I went out and got drunk with him all night long and heard some very interesting stories about David Ortiz. <laughs> Do you care to share? I've told this story. I've told this story. On no, the you have not. Uh, yeah, so Jose Lima came out. With the um, he played with a, a a team and was friends with a guy. I I know I told the story because my buddy, who was a bartender, he's uh, I don't know ten fifteen years older than me, used to go down to the to the Tides games and would go down to the dugouts after the games and before the games and would start yelling Spanish at all of the uh, Venezuelan players because he was Venezuelan and he would um, he would help them out. A lot of these guys that came over didn't speak English, didn't know where to go to eat. Like he would just help them out. Uh, this, this happens all over the place with a, in a lot of different cities. And so he would go out and help them out. And, uh, however, gotten, got hooked up with uh, Jose Lima. And so every time Lima came into town, if he came into town, he was on a rehab assignment for this, or he got the mo- at this point in his career, he may have been just like floating around. Year was this? I don't remember. And, uh, in the early two thousands, probably no, that's not right. In the mid, I don't know. Um, Anyway, he was uh, – told this story. Yeah, and then we, – so he was out. We went over to this um, – we went out and went into uh, Norfolk, Virginia. is where I went to college and uh, I stayed around there for a while and then we went all night long, all night long. 
and dude was buying shots. Everybody, he was doing like he was he got up on stage at this club we went to and took over all of the instruments and like just ran the show. It was unbelievable. The one of the greatest storytellers I've ever seen. And, did, the, and gave some information about uh, David Ortiz in confidence the next day when we were having Puerto Rican food at 11 o'clock. It wasn't even morning. when everyone was drunk. He did no, this it was sober. The next, it was just the next day after we called David Ortiz on the phone, put him on speakerphone. So this had to have been at least 2003, 2004 because people know who David Ortiz – like I guess he could have been with the twins at the time. but So well, I think it was um, it the, was probably the 07, tides, like 6, 07, something like that. What are the Tides right? minor league team for? It was it, they were the Mets at that point. Okay, so he was with the Mets in 06. There you go. What were tell us one thing about that he said about David Ortiz. <laughs> is about his sugar mamas in the Dominican? Abs- no, it has everything to do with baseball and something that he did. Steroids? Yeah, and Lima at that point when nobody he confirmed it. I mean d- that's not breaking news. It was then. It was then because it was no, all about- he had already shown up on that report. Yeah, it was the, yeah, it was denial, denial, denial. Everybody was denying at that point. But I mean, it was just one of those like you know, you you know, and then all of a sudden you're getting guys from who played and are like friends are like yeah, 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 like this is definitely. I'm like I was like damn, like this thing is deep. So that's that's and then like you know the the whole thing started going down. But that was a fun night. That was a fun night eating Puerto Rican food at like eleven o'clock the next day, not sleeping, didn't go to sleep, not good. hanging out not, with Lima, not good yeah. for the bowels. Did that way too much at that time. It reminds me, uh, when I was at UVM, because uh, they had the Vermont Lake Monsters up there, Dimitri Young was rehabbing. Uh, Dimitri Young came, was a wild man. Came through. He was it, an asshole, too. Oh, yeah, and got wrecked in town the night he was there. I was not with him. I just heard stories of people. He's the one who threw the bat at the, at the – or was that Delman? Was that his brother? Who threw, one of them threw the bat at the umpire in minor leagues. Just end over end through a bat. Uh, I don't know. You're not thinking Delman of the guy who Dimitri Young. Was you're not of thinking of the guy who kicked the catcher, are you? And then threw no, the bat? I'm thinking of Dimitri Young or Delman Young. It was one of the two. Of them. I think maybe it was Delman Young. I don't know. It was one of the two of them. I'll look it up in a minute. I remember Delman Young would swing at every first pitch, and the Yankees could not figure that out. And every first pitch, they would throw him a fastball down the middle, and he would hit lasers. Yeah, Luis well, Severino. One of them also throws bats at umpires. Threw 64 pitches. I don't really give a crap what his line was but it was three and two-thirds innings five hits four runs one earned no walks four k's uh his velocity was 96 to 98 and his slider velocity was 88 to 89 but i think the big number here is 64 pitches because that means he is at a point if he threw 64 pitches tonight he's going to make his next start in the majors against anaheim next week i believe on the 17th you could bump him up maybe another 10 pitches, 75. Then after that, he's going to make another one. You can bump him up another 10 pitches, 85. He'll have one more start before the playoffs start, 95 pitches. We could see a 90-plus pitch Severino come October. Yeah, and if you're in the 90s, I mean... That's all you're throwing anyway for the Yankees. You're a full-blown starting pitcher at that point, whatever that means. Um, Definitely depends. Definitely Delman Young, by the way. It depends, but... That's more than I thought we were going to see. I was surprised to see 64 pitches, to be honest. So that's very encouraging. Yeah, and he feels good. Like that's When you're looking at what's happening afterwards, too, and, and all the reports and what he's talking about and, and telling you how his body feels the next day, I'm looking at that. I'm looking for the pitches that he's thrown, like where they're comfortable. I'm looking at velocity. Um, and then how do you feel the next day? Like Those are the three things that I'm most keyed in on. And I think. now he's going to start – he's pitching on five days rest. So 
this is also, it's still a test. It's still a work in progress with the test. How does he feel consecutive outings, right? right. Yep. Um, but all, all, so far, so good. Yeah, no, all things are, are pointing in the, in the right direction. And they're definitely taking their sweet-ass time with him at this point, and they have to because there's no room for error Well, that's it. This, that was his final rehab. I'm saying just in the in the rehab process, there's no room for error with with uh, you know trying to push him a little bit further. You, they just they got to basically handle with him with kid gloves. And so far, you know, knock on wood. Uh, besides the fact of not giving him an MRI before his last, you know, <laughs> ramp up, <laughs> so they've done a good job, I guess. I feel like that because they don't want to mess anything up again. They're just there's an MRI machine on him at all times. They just got an MRI nerd on Severino following yeah. him around. Hey, well, sit down. Quick MRI. The funny, I mean, the the reason that Boone was talking about keeping him in Trenton uh, for for this game and not going to Detroit is that he wanted the he used the phrase uh, con, a controlled uh, situation. They want to control the atmosphere, everything that's happening in Trenton. You know, they have um, probably the ability to do more things. It's closer to New York. It's just a better situation, I think, um, for them to to control what they want. So, well, and it's not like I mean, the Yankees have botched a bunch of injuries this year. Everyone's been hurt. But like the latest on Aaron Hicks, so he might need surgery. Okay. The one of the recent updates we got from Aaron Boone on Aaron Hicks was uh his last MRI, Boone said, was the ligament is sound and the flexor strain is healed. Okay. Why why could he need surgery now then? Yeah. What is it? What's what's the reasoning? What are you what are you surgically repairing if the ligament is sound and the flexor is healed? Beats me. I really don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not a surgeon. I'm just a doctor. I, I just. I just. I. Not, I we're. You know, Yankees, there are differences. The Yankees medical staff has had a bad year. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> they're still uh, competing for the best record in baseball. So. Wow. Yeah, I, this, this whole thing is weird because we went out to get that second opinion too, and and they're talking about that. It feel it sound. Um, I don't know. It's it's uh. There's just gray, and I feel like they're just not giving us all the information. Because I think that's what happened after they gave us too much information. Now they're just holding everything back. Like the whole Stanton thing. Nobody has any idea what's going on with Stanton. No idea. Uh, he, he could, I, I just, if he's going to come, he's, I'll know when he's back. That's it. But he could come back and then go down again. If, probably Very well. Could. Because nobody knows what's wrong with him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's scary. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I feel like you got it. There's an update here from, uh, from Shannon. I feel like people need to hear this. No? Oh, yeah, I forgot. So uh, Shannon, a.k.a. biggest Mike Messina hater that we've ever come across. Right. So she sent me a long email, and I kind of parsed it down. But I struggled, she says, I struggled to wrap my head around how he could be so boring despite being honored at Yankee Stadium for accomplishing a feat that has cemented his status as being somebody other than, quote, Mr. Almost. The wording of my initial question was more of an in-the-moment exaggeration and source of self-amusement while the guys wrapped up the pregame show because overreacting to everything, especially when you're bored, is part of being a Yankees fan, right? That's literally it. I adore Moose as a pitcher, but I am confused by his lack of excitement about anything ever. Perhaps he's simply saving the energy to get super stoked on the sports teams he coaches at high school. We I can see – I actually – that's a really – that's actually a, a, a pretty good – um. Like a visual, I could see, I could see Mike Muschina going just balls, just getting <laughs> getting so mad about some stupid thing in a high school game. I could see that, like it just blows. Like he's been holding it in, trying to be monotone, trying to be like this nice guy from Stanford for a long time. He's been doing serenity and just, now this whole time. Yeah, yeah. So he's been doing he finally blows. 
<laughs> right. He's Lloyd Braun going out there and about to just blow. Kind of looks like Lloyd Braun. He could play Lloyd Braun. Uh, but yeah, I, she started out the email because I, I read the email as well. That was, I don't hate. I don't hate Mucina. That uh, sounded back, like she hated Backtracking Messina. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hates Mucina, loves Bird. Well, that's the thing about Mike Messina is that he is so bland that he's hard to hate. But I guess he annoyed Shannon because he was so bland. That, that's actually kind of funny. She was so mad that he was so boring. She felt the need to write an angry email. I think people also take boring as condescending and being Oh, smug. you think so? Yes. I don't think he's condescending. Oh, my God. You don't think he's smug at all? This is why you think smug he's condescending. Smug slash condescending. This is, see, this is why you think he's condescending. Because there's not many Mike Messina stories because he's a boring person. And one of the only ones we ever hear is how okay. he graduated from Stanford in three years. So and you think he's smart and smug. When yeah, I, I reality, I'm not saying I think that. I'm saying a lot of. I'm saying that is a a general perception of Mike Mussina. I, I think people think that he's 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 a an in, an intellectual guy, doesn't say a lot, probably a little smug, probably thinks he's better than everybody else. Yeah, he got into a war of he got into it with uh, with Michael K. It's it's printed. There's there's things. What was that about again? I don't remember. It's just two big headed guys going at it. No, but what what, what happened? Like it, when was it? What happened? I don't know why you're putting me on the spot here. I don't remember exactly the the. Uh, exact I thought you knew. You threw it out there like you knew. I just think, don't think he liked. It. I think he probably thought he was smug, and 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 Kay said some things about him that Mucina didn't like, and uh, it's kind of funny that Michael Kay thought Mike Messina is right smug yeah. when Michael Kay is smug. He definitely gets know. that rap too. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, two more in Detroit for the makeup and then three at Toronto. Gotta win these next two games, even though it's a doubleheader. Hey, another doubleheader. We thought we were done with doubleheaders. They've been great in doubleheaders this year. I think they're nine and one. So keep that rolling. Any last words, Scott? No, I got to keep it. You know, this is a perfect opportunity to, I was, I was waiting for like an explosion tonight. was going to be brutal. I feel like, uh, if the Yankees actually played this game, I feel like they were going to unleash the fury on the Tigers. And now they got to do it twice tomorrow. So they'll, they'll, they'll steal a couple games, do it in one swoop. That's efficiency. Got, like that. A lot of guys on that team. Single admission doubleheader. All 55 people are going to be in attendance. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a, uh, it'll be a good day. Let's, uh, let's just get the hell out of Detroit and win some games. All right, we'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.